Well, my name is Jermaine Wynn, the associate pastor here at Grace Covenant Church in Sterling, and I am excited today to, to share the word with you. Um, happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone here. Um, there's a, a passage I came across, um, John 15 and 13, where it says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so uh, I, I hope that, you know, we don't just gloss over uh, Memorial Day this weekend, um, that we, we take a moment at our barbecue or if we go to the pool because the pools open up this weekend for the first time and we're with our families, that we take a moment and, and we think about those that um, have given their lives for us to have freedoms and that uh, we take a moment and we pray for those families that are still grieving the loss of their loved ones uh, in this season, that God would draw near to them in this season. As a matter of fact, can I just pray real quick? Father, we, we thank you uh, to, for the opportunity to, to live here in the United States and, and to live a life that's, uh, that's free to worship you. Uh, and so well, we, we, uh, we don't take it lightly that there are, there are people that are doing much braver things than we are and, and fighting, fighting for us uh, and fighting for freedoms that we have and that we get to partake in. And so we just, we just lift them up in this season, in this time. We, we lift up uh, those families that have lost loved ones. Uh, we pray, Father, that um, you would draw near to them in this season, that uh, you would draw near to their broken hearts and that your Holy Spirit would comfort them and your Holy Spirit would speak to them and soothe their soul and their pain. So we thank you, God, for being with them in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I also get an opportunity here, uh, though it's not official yet because I haven't put it on Facebook or Instagram, um, but today is my, my 12th year anniversary. Um, so, <clears throat> happy anniversary, Blythe. There we go. For putting up with me for 12 years. I don't know what she sees in me. If you guys saw me about 14 years ago when we met, I was a mess. And for some reason, she still is able to see past my mess and love me and, and trust me and, and all the things. So, she's great. Thank you for being awesome. Um, yeah, I was going to say some other things, but I think I'm good. We're good. Uh, so I'm going to preach today from Exodus, or speak today from Exodus chapter 2, uh, verses 23 uh, to 25. Uh, it's a message that is close to my heart, kind of get to do my own thing today, so I'm excited about that. And so I, 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 I hope that you will be encouraged um, in this passage as we kind of peel back the veil and kind of see how, how God responds to our cries, how God responds to our prayers and how God moves and acts on our behalf. Um, and so that's what we're going to read today. If you wouldn't mind, stand with me as we read this passage together in reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read it together. Okay, all right, so we're on the same page. Here we go. So, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word today. 
thank you for your word that pierces our hearts and changes our lives and transforms us. Lord, we pray, Father, today that you would, you would speak to us, that we would hear directly from you for the situations that we're in. Uh, Father, thank you that you would use me today to speak your word. Uh, help me to decrease and you increase. Thank you for everyone here that they would have an ear to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is, so this is a, a, very, a very interesting uh, few verses here at the end of chapter 2. Uh, if you read it in its full context, it almost feels out of place. It's like it, it's just kind of a, a weird little uh, passage of Scripture there. Um, because it, in chapter 1 all the way up to verse 22, it's, you know, the time that elapses is about 400 years where the Israelites, they, they came to Egypt in a famine, and Joseph, he had favor. It was 70 of them, and God blessed them, and they grew, and they, uh, and they grew to about 2 million people, and too many people, uh, so much so that they, the, the Egyptians said, we have to enslave these people. There, there's no way that we can control them. They're outnumbering us. And, and so that timeline um, is, is shown here in these first two chapters, 400 years of, of slavery um, for God's chosen people. And it wasn't, uh, we, we can't really picture slavery because none of us in here have been in slavery, but um, they, they were, it was hard work. There, there was toiling, there, there was uh, genocide, killing of their family members. Um, it was a 400 years of a really, really hard time. And then we see Moses in chapter 2 uh, come on the scene. And as we're reading this passage, we're, we're, we're hoping that there's going to be salvation if we're reading it in its context. And Moses tries to save the people on his, on his own strength and his own, own way. And he ends up becoming a murderer. And then he runs away and, and he flees from Egypt and goes to Midian. And then we have this passage, this sandwich there. And then we see in chapter 3, God moving on Moses' heart to go and set his people free. And so it's about 40 years of time, and this is where we hop into the story. Because if you're an Egyptian in this moment, I mean, not an Egyptian, but if you're an Israelite in this moment, you're, you're, you're 400 years. Most of these people have been born into slavery, and they're thinking, where is God? It's been a long time. Where in the world? What is going on? Has anybody ever asked that question before? You've been dealing with something for so long, and it seems like God's just kind of pieced out, kind of bounced. I mean, this is where we find the Israelites. They're in this place of struggle. They're bound up. They're, they're oppressed. They're doing really hard work every day. They're in a desert doing really, really hard work every day. And we hop into this verse 23, and it says, The king of Egypt dies, and they begin to groan. Which leads me to believe one of two things, and, and maybe more, but these are the two things that stuck out to me. That either they had experienced some relief from the previous king or emperor, which made their situation a little more bearable. But then the new king arrives and the situation becomes much harder again. It's like working in a, in a really bad work environment. And, and getting a new boss that begins to micromanage you. Um, I can't, you know, we're not going to equate your office job to their slavery, but you kind of get the idea of where we're going. Or they had expectations that the new king would make things easier, 
but the level of pain in their situation remained the same. Whatever the scenario, things are not looking up for the, the Israelites here, and they begin to groan. Deep, long sighs of discomfort. A groan is a sound that you make when words can't express the pain that you feel. A groan is, is, is a sound that, that you, you might hear um, when you stump your toe and you yell out whatever you yell out, you know, whether it's, it's good words or bad words. A groan is a sound that you make when, uh, if you go to the gym and you, you see the muscle, well, no, I don't say muscle heads, but I hope there aren't any muscle heads in the room, sorry. Uh, well, if you see people working out and they're pushing heavy weight, the, the definition of, of a groan is basically an, an inarticulate sound made in response of applied pressure or weight. It's, it's like that, that sound your, your, uh, your, your stairs make when you're, when you're tiptoeing in the middle of the night to go get a snack. Um, and they're, they're yelling out in discomfort. <laughs> Don't eat the cookie, man. Just go back to bed. <clears throat> I'm joking, but uh, well, a lot of us in this room have, have faced or are currently facing situations and circumstances that are applying intense amounts of pressure on us. Extra weights have been added. Uh, unexpected changes are occurring in our lives. Circumstances are not looking better, they're looking worse. We didn't get the promotion that we were promised. Finances are a little strained. We're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, some of us are facing really, really tough health diagnosis and, and prognosis. And maybe your marriage is on the verge of separation, on the brink of divorce, or some of us just want to get married. And it's been a long time. And we're asking God, where is my spouse? Where is my wife or husband? Some of us are, have been praying for a child for a long time, and it feels like it's not happening. And you're asking the question, what's happening? Where are you, God? And, and now you don't have words, and, and it's just a groan. It's just a groan. And this is a picture we get here from the Israelites. They're, they're groaning. They're groaning. And then their groan turns into cries, and they begin to cry out for help. And what I'm learning, what I've, what I've learned is that this is really the most proper response to pain. The pastor doesn't say that they actually cried out to God. It just says that they cried out. And here's, here's my question for you this morning, at least one of them, especially if you're dealing with something. Have you actually cried out, like outwardly? Um, cried out to God, one, or just cried out to anyone, a friend, family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, anybody? Or have you just kind of just, I'm going to groan and I'm going to moan. And I'm going to keep this inside. And now I'm complaining. And now this is just where I'm at. Non-verbalized suffering or silent suffering, as we would call it, is just really kind of adding on your, your chains, adding on to your bondage. You know, you're in, you're in, you're in this place and then you just isolate yourself. I do that sometimes, that I isolate myself, and I isolate myself in my self-pity, and my depression, and my sadness, and, and then I'm just alone. Um, and I'm, I'll say it like this, I, I'm not a crier. I'm a, I'm a um, introspective, um, 
how do I, how do I say this correctly? I am a um, internal processor. Any internal processors in the room? Yeah, yeah. Some of the internal processors are internally processing the question first before they raise their hand. <laughs> Any external processors in the room? Look, they're just like, yes, me. I'm raising my hand. I'm, I'm super jealous, you know, because internal, external processors, they just kind of say whatever they want to say. They get their emotions out there and they just say all the things, all the words, emoting all the time. My wife's an internal, external processor. <laughs> We, we, we work well together. She can say the words I can't say. Um, <clears throat> but in, in some ways, what I'm, what I'm learning is that um, we all need to, at some point, be external processors. That there's a expressing outwardly um, that we need. There's a freedom in transparency. That we aren't designed to be, to be people that just hold the things that are hurting us in. I got one amen from that, right? But we aren't, we aren't designed that way. Uh, matter of fact, it, it isolates us and puts us in a place where we experience more bondage. And, and we get this picture here that, that these people are, are crying out, that they're crying out. And I'm, I'm asking you today, are you crying out? Are you crying out to anyone? My, my son Levi, he wakes up in the morning and he cries out every morning. <laughs> Mom, mommy, mama. It's like a bad family guy skit. Mother, mom, mommy. And then he starts to say, say the, the names that I call her, right? He's like, Blythe. <laughs> Babe. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> well, what, what he wants, what he wants in that moment is he wants to be free from the prison of his bedroom. Get me out of my bedroom. Anybody, can anybody hear me? And that's a question. That's a question. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from whatever is applying the pressure that's on you? Do you want to be free from the things that are tying you down? If so, step one, cry out. Cry out. That's why we have small groups. This is my small group plug. Um, and it's shameless. We've got to be in a small group. This is a place where we, we make room for crying out to each other, where we make space to be able to get vulnerable and transparent in front of each other so that we can tell people what's on our heart, what are the things that we're going through. Help me in this moment. What I love about this is that their, their cries reached God, it says. You know your cries reach God? Even if, even if they aren't directed towards him, God is aware and now we hop into verse 24. As their cries reach God, we, we, we hear and we read this. And God heard their groaning. That our cries don't fall on deaf ears. That God actually hears what we're saying. That he's not in, in the bedroom with the fan cranked really high and, and earplugs on, you know, applying or employing the cry it out method. I don't know if any of you have had babies and have done the cry it out method. No, it's just, just me. I'm, I'm the bad parent. Okay. Um, just the pastor. <laughs> um, but it's, that's, that's not God. He's not, he's not in his room saying, 
all right, at some point they're going to figure out and they're going to self-soothe, right? <laughs> that's, that's not his character, family. This is, this is encouraging because God, God doesn't put on the Beats headphones, right, and, and, and cancels out the noise that he's, he's actually hearing what we're saying. Psalms 34, 17 says that the, the righteous cry out and he delivers. That's a really, really strong passage, a really strong promise. Here, here's the rub and conviction that I got this week as I was studying this uh, over the past couple days. Is that that, that passage is really awesome. Um, and we love the part where it says God, God hears, but he also delivers. But the conviction I had is that God hearing me is enough. It's actually more than I deserve. You know, of course, in my, in my own, like, estimation and actions, it's clearly not enough, right? Because I, I don't want God just to hear my prayers. I want him to answer everything that I ask of him, like a butler in the sky. God, here, are, here, here is my cry. Answer me now, please. But it is merciful and it is gracious of God, the king of, of the world, the king of the universe, the creator of everything, that he would let me lie down on his couch and pour out my hearts and feelings about my life and my issues. That's gracious that God would hear us. And I'm thankful that God hears me. But God also does more than just hear us. Verse 24 says, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So they cried out, and God hears, and then God remembers. But he doesn't just remember them. He remembers something specific. He remembers his covenant. A covenant is, is an agreement, at least in, in that culture, and, and an agreement within Scripture that we see between two parties. And, and so what, what they would do is they would make a covenant, uh, different in the way we make agreements today. But they would say, listen, this is how we're going to relate to one another. Pastor Eddie, I'm going to treat you a certain way, and in response, you're going to treat me a certain way. Vice versa, you're going to treat me a certain way, and in response, I'm going to treat you a certain way. And then what they would do is basically they take an animal and they cut it in half. Imagery, can you get that? They take an animal, cut it in half, or a few, put it on the sides, and what they would do is basically walk, walk through this. And this is the signing of this covenant saying, we're going to walk through this. This is real. This is an oath that I'm making towards you. And so if I fail to fulfill any of my requirements of my duties towards you, let it be done to me what we've done to these animals today. We don't sign agreements like that today. (laughs) Could you imagine? There'd be a lot of dead people in the room. Uh, uh, Myself included, myself included. But it's helpful for us because it, uh, you know, God uses covenants and the seriousness of it to, to establish how he's going to act towards us. And so in Genesis 15, we see uh, God creating this covenant with, with Abraham. And he's, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my, my, my people. And you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. Uh, you can look up at the stars, all this stuff. So you read about that. And we get in Genesis 15, and Abraham's like, God, you got to give me a sign of, of this. And, and so God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a covenant. And so he has them bring animals, and they, 
I think it's like a heifer and a lamb and, and a goat and some birds, and they cut them in half. And, and what God does is that he, he knocks Abraham out, and he himself walks through this, these animals and this sacrifice, basically saying, listen, there, there, is, there isn't any responsibility or requirement from you. I'm the only one here that's going to have a responsibility to fulfill I'm the only one here that's going to have a requirement to fulfill here in this covenant. I'm making a covenant with myself for you in this moment. Right. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And he even, he even tells them in this moment, 400 years of slavery, and I'm going to deliver them. It says this in Genesis chapter 15, and we're reading about it here in Exodus 2. And this is actually the covenant that God is remembering in this moment. And he said, I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. These are my people. And I've made a covenant with them that I'm going to deliver them. And so God creates and establishes covenants. And we can read about the covenant with Moses and other covenants here and there. But then he creates a covenant and establishes a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And this is how he has determined how he's going to relate with us now. Hebrews chapter 10 it's a lot of verses, but I'm going to read it, if that's okay with you. Um, it says, but when, when Christ, this is verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a, sang, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those, after those days, declares the Lord, that I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And then he goes on to say, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Again, this is God signing a covenant. No requirement from us except for to have faith and to believe. But he signs a covenant in his own blood with his own body without any requirement from us or responsibility. That we have faith to believe in his son and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. We are granted a new heart, a new life, eternal life, eternal relationship with God. We have complete and total access to God. We can pray to him directly in faith. And he hears us and he remembers us in his covenant. Gosh, aren't you guys thankful that God doesn't remember me or you, but he remembers us in his covenant? I get this picture that if God remembered me and not me in the covenant, that he would hear my prayer, and then he would remember. Oh, that's Jermaine. Okay. I'm not, I'm not I'm this guy. I'm not going to answer that one. Um, like a telemarketer, right? Just like, nope. I don't know who that is. But he knows who Jesus is. Covered in his blood. It's a blessing for us that God will remember his covenant and by his covenant, God has outlined in Scripture that we're covered in his blood. He's going to relate to us and deal with us in a certain way. And he's going to move on our behalf in a certain way. So God remembers his covenant. Then it says God, God sees. Verse 25, God, God saw the people of Israel. God hears, God remembers. 
Now God sees. Some translations say that God takes notice or that God considers their struggle. It's a tough one because God's watching and he sees everything and he's seeing our, our struggle and we're just kind of wondering. All right, I know that you see. But this is encouraging because God isn't blind to our circumstances. He hasn't turned his back on us. He sees our pain. He sees our struggle. He sees us fighting. He sees us searching and wondering. He sees us lost. He sees us tired. He sees us with our patience running thin. And he sees. And there isn't anything, there isn't anything that we're facing or that we have faced or that we will face that's outside of the watch of God. And the comfort in a passage like this is that God, that God sees everything, but he also sees the things that we can't see. Because we can't see sometimes past our, our own pain. But God can see our pain, and he can see our purpose at the same time. That God can see us really, really hurt and hurting, but he can also see how his glory is going to come about our situation. And there... This has been freeing for me, and I hope that it's freeing for someone else, that if you can actually get the eyes of, of, of God here and get the eyes of faith and see your situation like God sees it, then you can look at a passage like Romans 8, 28, where it says that, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that it makes, that makes more sense to you now, that although you're, you're in pain, that God is working something together for your good and that there's a purpose that's coming about, that he's preparing something for you. He's preparing you for the something that he's bringing you into, that there is something that God has for you, a plan and a purpose, and it's not, it's not to harm you. I'm not, I don't want to deny that you're, you're feeling some pressure and you're feeling pain. I just wanted to encourage you that God sees it and he's working something for you. So God hears, God remembers, God sees, and it says God knew. It just says it, just plops it there in the passage at the end, and God knew. And it speaks to an intimate knowledge of the situation. That it's not just head knowledge of the struggle. God's just not rubbing our back and he's saying, listen, I just can't even imagine what you're going through right now. I know, I know, baby, it's okay. That's not, that's not what, that's not what he's, he's doing. It's not, that's not what it says. It says, it's not saying that God is, is super disconnected from your life and that he's just watching your life kind of on a reel or on TMZ or something like that. But he's, he, he knows like a father that's, that's really close, that he's filled with love and empathy and compassion, with firsthand knowledge of our lives, and that he is deep in the trenches with us and that he knows that he knows. And he not only knows what he's going through, but he knows what he is going to do. And he knows that he's going to move on our behalf, and he knows that he's already moving on our behalf. He knows the things that we don't know. God knew. In this passage, we, we read and we see that God is about to do something. They don't know it, but God knows. I just want to make sure that you all heard that. You don't know it, but God does. That's a word for somebody here today. God, God knows. He knows what you're going through, but he also knows what he is going to do. 
And that's my encouragement this morning, family, that, that God is moving. You may not see it. You may not feel it. It may seem like, man, God isn't even there at all. Is he doing something? Is he hearing my cry? But his word here is that he hears your cry and your groans, that he remembers you in his covenant promise through Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross, that he sees your situation and he knows you with the knowing love of a compassionate father, and he is about to move heaven and earth to come and do something on your behalf. Yes. As I close today, and, and Reggie, you can uh, come on up and make this moment a little more anointed. As I close today, I, I want to make sure that I, I just don't uh, lay out some motivational message, right, that just kind of soothes your soul and comforts you in a, in a time where you're feeling some major discomfort. Um, but for some of us, there, we need to really settle some things with God first and really deal with um, our biggest bondage our greatest sickness, our greatest disease, which is sin. This, this generation in Exodus um, that, that God delivers out of, out of Egypt, they were, they were born into sin. Born into a situation that they could not get themselves out of. No way out, no escape. They don't know God They've heard of God in generations, and, but their groans that, that they're making are really just a deeper cry for salvation as they're crying out for help. They, they may not know it, or maybe they do know it, but they, they need God to intervene in their life. And so like, like us, it's a, it's a great picture of our, of our situation, that we are born into sin without an answer. That we struggle with the weight of sin, the habits of sin, the consequences of sin. Hoping, hoping for change, never really quite getting it the way we want change to come. It, like, like the Israelites in this, in this passage, expecting this, this new king to change their situation. Like us, we're expecting people to help us and, and alleviate some of the pressure and the pain. Um, maybe our job to alleviate some of the pressure and the pain. Some of, some of the things that, that we put in place of God, expecting that to help us in our sin situation, but it doesn't. But God didn't forget us, family. The groan from, from deep within your soul uh, that, that God hears, God hears it. The desperate cry for, for help and salvation, God hears it. And he doesn't just stand back and do nothing about it. He sends his son, Jesus Christ. He sends his son, Jesus Christ. He responds and sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and to free us from the bondage of our sin, of our shame, of our condemnation, of our guilt. 
like the, the prodigal son who, who, who comes to the end of himself and turns back to the father. The father isn't, isn't there um, looking to judge him. The father is waiting, and he saw everything, and he's waiting for him, just waiting with arms open wide to love him and to, to, to bring him back into the fold, forgetting his past but not forgetting about his son. That's my word to you this morning, that, that God has not forgotten about you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he hears your cry, that he remembers you and his son, and that he knows your situation, and he has, do- he has done something about it. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Man, and we can accept him. And we can walk in him. There's something that God has for us in that. Can you pray with me? Father, thank you today for, for your word to us. Thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices. You haven't left us to struggle with the weight of our situations on our own, to struggle with the issues of life on our own, to wrestle with the weight of sin in our life. I thank you, Father, that you remembered us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him to die for us so that if we believed in him and believed in the work that he did for us on the cross and his sacrifice, that we could step in and have full faith, that we can step in and have real life, that we can step in and have eternal life and have a relationship with you, well, then we can know you and we can have a hope for our future. We can have a hope for the purpose that you've called us to walk in. With our, with our eyes closed here, I want to give an opportunity for those who are here today and you're, you're hearing this word today and you've been struggling with the weight of, of sin in your life on your own for a long time and you're groaning and today you want to cry out I want to give an opportunity for you uh, today those that don't know Jesus an opportunity for you to raise your hand and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and to cry out to him for salvation and for him to come into your life if that's you today in this room, again, with all, all of our eyes closed and the heads are bowed, but those of you who are ready to cry out to Jesus to come and save you and enter into your life, would you raise your hand in this moment? I see that hand. Once the hand is up, you can put it down. Father, we thank you. If you pray this prayer, Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to die the death that I deserve. I believe in his sacrifice. Today I turn from you. I turn, I turn to you. I turn from my sin. I turn to you, and I give my life to you wholeheartedly. Forgive me for my life that I live apart from you. 
thank you for accepting me into your family. Thank you, God, for our family today. Thank you, God, that they would find some comfort in your word, um, that they would find some comfort in, in knowing that you hear their prayers and that you're responding to them and that you're doing things for them on their behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.